0: Good morning, joining me now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, our good friend Al Batt. Hey Al, how are things over there with the, the warm weather this past weekend and now things cooling down a little bit?
1: It's incredible. It's just how the snow disappeared. It's, you know I walk through a lot of mud and then it gets a little cool and then it's kind of nice because I'm not walking through mud
0: Yes. And I'm not
1: walking through snow so it makes a, a wonderful, wonderful day.
0: The birds have been out in amazing numbers too. You know, the people all of a sudden came out and I've noticed the birds are just crazy out there. Well, plus, it didn't hurt I put some. finally put some seed in the feeder. But my yard has just been hopping. I had a couple cardinals. I've got a junco. I had a robin. I had cedar waxwing. And I usually don't see that many all at the same time of those different varieties.
1: That's wonderful. I still have my tufted titmouse. I worry about him on a daily basis because uh, he's my buddy now. A lot of robins, yard full of robins, a yard full of grackles and starlings also. So Canada geese flying overhead, they honk and they wave as they go by. (laughs) So a lot of things. We have a lot of noise just down the road because they're putting in a solar farm. So they they have these big machines that come in and they drive the posts. Uh, One guy told me the posts go down five or six feet into the ground, so they have to hammer them pretty good. So they work all weekend, so it's just kind of part of the day now. You hear that bang, 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 bang. It's not that disruptive, but you can still hear it because I can hear the neighbor's dog bark at 3 in the morning. I'm one of those guys. (laughs) So it's a different kind of world with all these solar farms and things going up. They're just everywhere, everywhere you go. I'm outside, and the sun was shining. In the strength of the sun was impressive. It it just it warmed me. I had a light uh, kind of fleece thing on, and I was wishing I didn't have that on because (laughs) it was hot. And then when the sun disappears, all of a sudden you go, I wish I'd had that fleece, but that's the way life goes. It enticed chipmunks from their burrows. Uh-huh. i bet a lot of folks have been seeing them. I see them out here. They're bouncing around. And one of the really cool things I look for, look at trees. They're encompassed by dark circles at the base of their trunks now. So when the sun shines, a tree absorbs more heat than the surrounding snow does because the tree's got a dark-colored bark. So the trunk warms. And it radiates heat, which melts the snow around the foot of the tree. And you can also see the same thing happening to oh, telephone poles, fence posts, anything like that. I have uh, red-winged blackbirds here. So listen for the male singing, look at me. And they, they practice. There's probably no females around, but they really don't care yet. They're just singing and trying to decide who's going to have this post, who's going to have this territory. <laughs> House finches are trying to sing in the spring. These lovely singers, they were called Hollywood finches when they were sold as cage birds. They're year-long residents here, and they provide needed flashes of color. Some of them undergo short-distance migration south. Uh, purple finches look similar, but they're winter guests in southern Minnesota. And the red on a male house finch is concentrated mostly on the head and breast, where the redness of a purple finch male spreads to most of his body.
0: Why do they call them purple finches if they're red? See, these things confuse me about birds sometimes.
1: Yeah, and I suppose some people look at them and see it as a purple. I sure don't. It's a, mm-hmm. a it's a wine color or a raspberry, maybe raspberry juice color to me. Cranberry to some folks, but to me, wine like a, a merlot. Mm-hmm. They're that kind of color. So um, again, not purple, but whoever named them way back said, "Boy, there, there's a purple bird right there." So they ended up with that. But that that's a good point. I I have no idea. There's many birds that I wonder how they ever got their name. <laughs> oh, I, The nice thing for those of us who walk, I walked around uh, yesterday adding mud to my boots. I got that nice thickness of yes. mud on the bottom of my boots. that takes forever to scrape off. But long walks and bird watching are prescribed by doctors to patients In Scotland's Shetland Islands as part of treatments for chronic illnesses, the National Health Service Shetland rolled out what has been called nature prescriptions to help treat a range of afflictions, including high blood pressure, anxiety, and depression. So I'm uh, preparing a bill to send to my insurance company for my uh, what I spent <laughs> for my walking shoes. I'll, I'll let you know how that turns out. I am prepared to be totally ignored on that. So I know they have a lot of other things to deal with instead of knuckleheads like me. As spring comes, I hope for everyone that there will be enough good weather to go around. That's that's what I hope. It just You just hope that we get nice weather. Uh, Millie Westlin of Hayward saw five trumpeter swans and a northern shoveler. Uh, Karen Shellstad of Fairmont said, Good morning, Al, the residents. She is at uh, Goldfinch Estates. And she said the residents uh, love birds, and she saw and heard a northern cardinal singing out from the very top of a tree this morning. What a joyous melody. Lyndon Larson, who is from Hermosa, South Dakota, said the robins are back and the geese are headed north. Brian Weller of Wasika City, seeing Canada geese migrating. Janet Eastfold of Heartland said many starlings in her yard. There were lots of robins one day and then none. Why? Mm. Um, Janet, yours could have been overwintering robins that were foraging through, but most likely they were males that were headed farther north to their breeding territories. So they stop here and eat. They're happy to spend a little time with us, but they've got to get to their territory. And I know she has some there because I have a yard full. Uh, Donna Swenson of Waseca saw a pileated woodpecker and a screech owl. Uh, Peter Madsen, Peter's from Austin, on the, March 8th, he saw 14 eastern bluebirds moving up the road on a south wind. The ground was probably 80% snow-covered at that time, so good luck, Mm bluebirds, says Peter. David Bartke was at River Bend Nature Center in Fairbow and... um, I love River Bend Nature Center. I love nature centers. They have walking trails. I go there and take my binoculars or my camera for a walk and just hike around. It's a beautiful place in Faribault. If you got a few minutes when you're over there sometimes, take a hike there. But while he was at River Bend Nature Center, he saw snow geese, greater white-fronted geese, common mergansers, cooper's hawk, and he saw a prairie falcon. He said it was a cooper's hawk-sized bird with faint sideburns, Pointed wings, but not as pointed as a peregrine or smaller falcons. It had dark armpits extending out to the underwings, rapid wing beats, and he said it was a life bird for him. So that was so cool. Mm-hmm. It's a bird David never seen before. Also, as he traveled around the Faribault, he saw sandhill cranes and tundra swans. He had a western metal arc in Waseca County, a golden eagle in Steele County, and a brown-headed cowbird in Dodge County. Sound like David took a day and just yeah. went looking at birds. Uh, Clayton Will sent the nicest thing. He said the coolest thing. I'm sitting watching 250 resting greater white-fronted geese at McHugh Wetlands. When this one stood up, stretched, and slapped its wings so loud it sounded like a starter's pistol, and away they all flew. Just got to love nature. Uh, Brad Amendroth saw a Wilson snipe in Martin County, and Kimberly Emerson saw a brown-headed cowbird in Redwood County. How big a territory, someone asks, does a pair of hawks have? Well, we have a number of different kinds of hawks, but the red-tailed hawk is a hawk we commonly see. As we drive along, they're the ones on fence posts and utility wires and utility poles and at the edge of a, um, a woods. And they usually hold a nesting territory of one and a half to two square miles, Wow! but that could be even larger if food was scarce. So they set up, they set up housekeeping. They got this nest, and it looks like it's boy they've had good luck hunting. And all of a sudden, it's not such good luck hunting. Something happens, and there's just not much food there. So then they have to expand their nesting territory. This is a great question, and I like your uh, your answer on this because there is no real answer. What is the most recognizable bird in the world? I suppose here in the United States, maybe bald eagle, probably, I would yeah, think. Yeah, I would guess too. But, but the bald eagle isn't in most places in the world. So the most recognizable bird in the world. And I'm speculating wildly here, but I guess it would be the peacock, which is oh. the male peafowl. And I think that's probably because, boy, how <clears throat> how many kids' books have a peacock in them? It's just, I grew up with books like that, and you're looking at the peacock, and I think that's why I raised peafowl for many, many years. So I think, and again, I have no way of knowing. I don't know how you'd find an answer to something like that, and Somebody probably has a better answer, but I'm going to go with the, the peacock. And the nice thing about this is you can't be proven wrong.
0: I would argue the parrot, because I remember as a little kid growing up, they always used to use a parrot in the little pictures, I think because they're so colorful. So, I mean, I know that's a maybe not a native type bird, but still, parrots are pretty. Are parakeets. Parrots are pretty recognizable when, from when you were a little kid.
1: They sure are, and anybody that, um, my mom would take me to the dime store. The neighbors called it the Five and Dime. Mm-hmm. I called it Woolworths because oh. that was the name of it. And I'd go back in there. My mom, would; she'd try to lose me in there so she could go shopping <laughs> all on her own without me whining about something. So she'd either walk me by the lunch counter and give me a grilled cheese sandwich <laughs> or something to shut me up, or she'd walk me past the pets section uh-huh. in the back where they had tropical fish and maybe some mice or something but then they had birds. they'd have parakeets and canaries typically once in a while they'd have a lovebird or one of the smaller parrots so i yeah i would just sit back there and stare at those and time would go by <laughs> and before i knew it mom <laughs> said well we better get home and i spent all that time looking at those so yeah
0: the five and dime store for us wasn't five and dime or the dime store. Well, kind of sometimes it was a dime store, but it was the Ben Franklin store because ours yours was Woolworth. Our dime store was Ben Franklin.
1: And we had a Tom Tubbs had a oh. Ben Franklin store and it was the place where you went to get all the oh, especially a lot of yarn and stuff. I remember mm-hmm. it was it called Red Heart Yarn that was just. It was one of those ubiquitous yarns that for knitters and things that was everywhere. Or, pen, so, yeah.
0: or penny candy. That's what I, where I used to go because we'd get a penny or two and then we could always buy some candy. That was my favorite trip to the dime store.
1: Oh. And kids, we're little rascals apparently because I, I, I knew Tom and as I got older I'd talk to him and he would talk about the high percentage of uh, shoplifted things. Because they'd have all like those little plastic dinosaurs and everything. They have them right down where kids could <laughs> grab them. And I, I never thought of doing that. I guess I, I, I tell a long story about swiping a candy bar once and pretty much learned my lessons from that. Yes. But that wasn't that Ben Franklin. But Tom said it was incredible. And I say kids, but it wouldn't necessarily have to be kids either. It could be adults that were doing that. Do robins mate for life? Oh, I wish they did. I read that Aristotle considered earthworms to be the intestines of the earth. <laughs> robins consider earthworms lunch. That's what they uh, they want to eat, worms. And robins do not mate for life. Pears <throat> uh, will generally stay together during a breeding season. In a breeding season here, can involve two or three nestings. So the pair will stay together and raise all those young or try to raise all those young, hatch the, hatch the eggs. Sometimes the two will return to the same territory because they like Karen Wright's yard. So mm-hmm. they're going to come back the next year, and they run into one another there and say, you know, it worked <laughs> well last year. What do you say? So then they end up together for another year. Um one of the big problems, I guess, with a robin is it has about a 50% chance Aww. of living through a year, so uh, about half turnover on robins. A uh, listener said, I'm seeing a lot of horn larks. Are they a true sign of spring? I, I think I see them all winter. And, yeah, maybe sort of, somewhat. Um, you do see them all winter. Horn larks are commonly winter in southern Minnesota with lower populations of hornlarks found shivering farther north the hornlarks that migrated south begin returning north in early February through late March and they can be seen feeding along the gravelled edges of rural roads they fly at a vehicle's approach before landing in a field and disappearing by blending into the ground uh, I've kept binoculars on them, and I've lost them sometimes. They fly down the ground. They're kind of brownish on top, a lighter colored underneath, and they just they disappear down in there. And horn larks have a horizontal posture. And I watched one, and I saw land, and I set my I got a stopwatch. Um, I do recordings, and that stopwatch is helpful. It was over five minutes where that horn lark just posed. It didn't move at all, didn't fly. Finally, I had to go, but five (laughs) minutes. So it's hard to find them because they just, they fly down the ground and then they stop and they just stand there. Their song is a lovely high-pitched tinkling and there are high breeding densities of horn larks found throughout the heavily cultivated regions of the western in southern parts of Minnesota. So we get a lot of them here in the summer, we get a lot of them in the winter and then we get some that are migrating through heading further north. So it's um, yeah, that was a great question because they are are beautiful and I hear from folks every day that saying they're seeing horn larks and it's it's winter it's a sign of spring. But most of those I I hear from people up north How much does a chickadee eat each day? Oh, again, the chickadee is my favorite bird. Uh, Smaller birds generally need more food relative to their weight than do larger birds. So a black-capped chickadee will eat 35% of its weight per day, 35%. A blue jay maybe will eat 10%. And a hummingbird as much as 100% of its weight oh, wow. each day. Oof. You can just take your weight and uh, <laughs> and quarter pounders,
0: oh, so my. four
1: of them to pound of weight, and see how many quarter pounders we'd have to eat to get 100% of our weight each day. And that's what a hummingbird does. I, it's it's amazing they can fly uh. after that. I, I realize their system is different than ours, but oofta. I have to say <laughs> oofta. I um oh, are most spruce trees named Bruce? <laughs> oh,
0: yes. Really?
1: Yes. Yes, and it, it's an odd thing with spruce trees. Uh, they most of them are named Bruce, so it's I'm glad to be able to answer that question because this person said that been bothering him for years, and just wanted to know because he said uh just most of them he meets are named Bruce. Do weasels dance? Oh. Oh. Never thought there of There was this kid in junior high who was a definite weasel when I was <laughs> in school, and he could put John Travolta to shame on a dance, dancing floor, a dance floor. But I'll bet the question you're asking is about a four-footed animal. Weasels perform a war dance when they've cornered prey. They oh. bob and they hop in a dance I would think it's meant to intimidate prey, but I have no idea if that's true or not. One theory is a the weasel's twisting and darting about distracts, confuses, and or hypnotizes prey. <laughs> I've heard that all my life. Oh, a weasel hypnotizes a rabbit. That's why the rabbit goes. A research study in the UK concluded some rabbits had died of fright after being subjected to the dance. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. And occasionally a weasel dances without prey as an audience, and all you can say is they're probably just practicing, just working up this thing.
0: Isn't that why humans dance, kind of sort of a mating dance when you think about it? And, I mean, if if people from another planet, aliens, came and saw when people dance, sometimes, I mean, they would just shake their heads and say, what is wrong with these creatures?
1: And if weasels were watching us dance, I'm sure they would be thinking the same thing. Yeah. And I don't know what the point of that is. You're not, you're not intimidating anything. You're not hypnotizing, although sometimes that's what we were aiming to do—is hypnotize somebody. But the good thing about us is hardly any rabbits die of fright while yeah, we're dancing. Right. So yeah, which I think is a a real plus of our, our dance ability. Um, the last question I have is, and I'll bet. You probably know this one too being a MG master gardener is rhubarb native to Minnesota.
0: You know, I don't and know it, the answer it, for that for sure, but I know it's easy to grow.
1: Oh, it, rhubarb is from Central Asia. Ah, okay. And records date back to 2700 BC in China, and that's it, that'd be before computers. Uh, where rhubarb (laughs) was cultivated for medicinal purposes. And Marco Polo, Marco Polo, Polo. (laughs) Um, that had to drive him nuts, I would think. Marco Polo (laughs) found rhubarb on his travels to China in 1271. A pie plant, that's what my grandma called it, pie plant, came to America when a Maine gardener obtained seed or rootstock from Europe sometime between 1790 and 1800 and he introduced it to growers primarily in Massachusetts and by 1822 it was so popular it was being sold in the markets. so uh and oh you know rhubarb crisp and rhubarb pie it is so good and when we were kids we just go out to grandma's garden and cut off a piece and just walk around chewing you on did, it. You did?
0: Because it's sort leaf. of bitter, but how, who do you think the guy was that found out that rhubarb leaves were poisonous? <laughs> I'm thinking... I don't know. Because, you know, if the, he, if the would, stock is good, then you think, well, the leaves must be good too, right? Kind of like a lettuce, and then somebody gets really sick or dies from it. I, I think you can.
1: Apparently they had guys back then that said, Hey, Bob. <laughs> Let's try it. We'd like you to try this. We know it's good because there'd be no problem, and then they watch Bob for a few days. <laughs> Bob's and, uh, gone. I don't know. I I hope they got paid a lot. Those guys—they <laughs> were probably indentured servants or something. They said, "Hey, come over here." It's—we um, all have that one kid in the family, usually the younger one, like me—that they would either say, "Hey, taste this and see if it's gone bad," or "Smell this. Is this smell okay to you?" <laughs> And that was usually the baby of the family that would come over there and say, well, it's okay, and then they'd all come and eat. So I was kind of the official taste tester for the bat family growing up and and proud, really proud of being able to do that.
0: And they made a commercial from the Life Cereal, you know, let's get Mikey, he eats everything. So you were the Mikey of the family, I believe.
1: Yeah, he doesn't like anything. Yeah, that was. I liked everything I'd eaten before. It was just the new stuff. You know, it's like mm-hmm. a cat,
0: our yes. cat. It,
1: it doesn't want old food, and it doesn't want any food that it's never eaten before. It wants it, fresh. fresh food that's mm-hmm. the same thing it eats all the time. I guess that's kind of the way I was. Going. <laughs> Speaking of food, I hope you all come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. A special is always a Heimlich Manoeuvre, and gravy's considered a beverage, and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders. Were grease is good and none of the food smells like feet? Well, hardly any. I had a neighbor named Claudie Beas. He was my neighbor for years. Claudie, as his real name was Claude, but Claudie, as everyone called him, was one of those people who not only didn't try to keep up with the Joneses, he was most comfortable lagging far behind them. That, That was his niche in life. Claudie didn't have electricity on his farm. No lights, nothing. He had those lanterns. What he had instead of electricity, he had countless canines. He had so many dogs, I feared Claudie would succumb to a rover dose, but he didn't. (laughs) Remember, folks, Heartless, while we're driving past, uh, thanks for listening. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your exquisite company. I appreciate you. Uh, Folks, get out there and do something wild. Take a look at a bird. It's a beautiful day.
0: Al, thank you so much. It's great to have you on. We'll talk to you next week. Take care.
1: I look forward to it.
0: All right. Bye-bye.